0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, scorned and forgotten taxpayers, and all around patriotic individuals looking and yearning to be free to the CR podcast here at Blaze TV. Daniel Horowitz in the house for Friday, the end of the week, really the end of the year in many respects. This has been an unbelievable year. I am so thankful to all of you for tripling the size of the show, passing it around to all your friends and relatives. Um, Next year is going to be a turning point. It really will be a turning point. Um, It's a do or or die moment. It's a matter of do we slay the golden calves that have kept us from doing what we really need to do politically, culturally, activism, strategy-wise? Does it keep preventing us from doing it, or are we going to change tactics and save some sort of piece of the republic for us to live freely, or will we be confined to this sick, sick form of tyranny that in many respects is worse and more capricious than, than China? So just a brief programming note, and we're going to get to a special guest today. Uh, this is our last regular show until January third, but it's not the last time you're gonna hear from me. We will have hopefully two to three more shows in between. It's just some of them might either either be taped, kind of pieced together. So the you know, the timestamp might be a little bit funny, but I do hope to be up on any big news, big happenings, big strategies that we need to mobilize for. Um, I hope to have a few more podcasts uh, between those two and a half weeks, as well as go to Minuteman Speak Easy Facebook fan page. If you're not currently a member, it's a private page. We did that because a lot of you want to remain anonymous. Um, You don't want a public page. so That's why we set it up. So you do have to request entry. Um, Tina, who runs that, will uh, pretty quickly get you in there. And then you could see any video I wind up posting, you know, five-minute short video, just updates on different things. Now, we're going to have a special guest today to really tie together a year's worth of our truth bombs on coronavirus, on China virus, on all the lies we're being told about the virus. Um, Just to set the table, it's kind of shocking how we are watching L.A. explode with cases now. And they're going nuts over it. And... It is truly shocking how nobody is calling them out. You guys have done everything you said we're supposed to do that would bring us to the promised land. You had all the lockdowns. The schools are closed. The businesses are closed. The masks are up their rear ends. Outdoors. Indoors. And your idolatry didn't work just like... The screaming, shouting, and gashing of the body didn't work for the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Because Baal is not God. The God of Abraham is the God, and that God created respiratory viruses, and there's no way you could stop their spread. There's various reasons why sometimes it comes later to a place, but once it comes, it comes. California came later, and now it's coming, and now they're getting their thing, as everyone else will. The only thing we can do is put our faith in God, have a strong community that's not interrupted and disrupted and destroyed to deal with it better as D.A. Henderson, one of the greatest epidemiologists ever, man who cured smallpox, said 14 years ago in a paper. And fortify our immune system. We're going to be talking about that with our guest I just wanted to just give a couple of news updates here about slaying this idolatry. You know, the thing about the GOP is it's not just that they make promises and then don't keep them. They don't even promise to indulge our point of view, even as the issues are going on. So right now we have this omnibus bill, $900 billion Corona negotiation for Corona fascist bill. And again, Republicans agreed to the Democrat premise on 99% of it. Pick 1% to have a fake fight over. McConnell gave some sort of a speech of how we want to bring relief to the people and the business owners. We got to do it right away. And the Democrats are stopping us. And I'm thinking, are, are you retarded or something? The biggest relief to bring is to end the freaking lockdown and to use the funding as leverage to condition it. But of course, there's no voice there. Because they agree with it. Governor Bill Lee. Tennessee governor. This is a state Trump blew out. I think it's the most trending. Most red trending state. If you look at the trajectory. Our state is getting sicker by the day. He said. And this vaccine will not cure selfishness and indifference. I believe Tennesseans have a tremendous capacity. To make responsible decisions. And we need you to wear a mask. And consider alternate holiday gatherings. Again. This is the governor of Tennessee. What does it have? Like 120 counties or something? Trump won all but two of them. And we have a governor who is just as illogical, immoral, and promulgating just as many illegal edicts as the worst of the Democrat governors. How in the world could we not start a new bottom-up local movement? How in the world could we not Demand that Trump hold rallies and recruit and endorse candidates against people like Bill Lee who are up, I believe, in 2022. This is our time. This is our moment. And speaking of idolatry, the Supreme Court refused to exempt Kentucky religious schools from the state's ban on in-person classes. Gorsuch and Alito dissented. I'm not sure why Thomas wasn't on it, but based on what he's done in the past, I have to assume he's broadly with us on this. He's earned that benefit of the doubt. But notice we only have three votes on something that fundamental. Very interesting. So far, there's been a lot going on in Amy Barrett's short tenure. And... You know, there's a lot of missing details and some of these things are a little bit complicated, but I haven't affirmatively seen anywhere where she has risen above Kavanaugh and Roberts. Let's let's wait and see. One more point I just want to get on the table here. There's a news story I missed from a New York Times... Article. New York Times article here. And this was, I believe, published on December 5th. And it is a very telling article in terms of the psyche of the fascists and the political elites and the sort of tyranny that is awaiting us if we don't change the game. They're talking about prioritization of of people for vaccines. And they note, they quote, see, this is what the New York Times often does. Rather than directly editorialize, they'll quote a so-called expert saying what they want to hear. Harold Schmidt, an expert in ethics and health policy at the University of Pennsylvania, said that it is reasonable to put essential workers ahead of older adults, given their risks and that they are disproportionately minorities. Older populations are whiter. Society is structured in a way that enables them to live longer. Instead of giving additional health benefits to those who already had more of them, we can start to level the playing field a bit. We have them openly saying, and we saw this already with them prioritizing in Colorado, a couple other states, criminals behind bars before seniors. I'm not kidding you. And now they're letting it out because they're white. I mean... Those of you who have listened to this show long enough know that there has been an unrelenting war on whites in this country. It is at, at, at the core of almost every policy in this country. It is sick. It's invidious. It's the ultimate discrimination. We are headed for some very, very scary days. Think about Mugabe and countries like that for where we're headed. Later on in the piece... They quote this guy Mark Lipschitz, an infectious uh, disease epidemiologist at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Teachers have middle-class salaries and are often very white, and they have college degrees. And basically, he's saying that that they shouldn't get priority treatment with essential workers. Teachers shouldn't. Now, I have other reasons why I think teachers aren't in danger, but that's not the point he's making. They're white. They're white. And then even the person who disagreed that's quoted economist Elise Gould argues and says teachers should be priorities. Why? Because they teach disproportionately quote black and brown students. (laughs) Again, this is a very sick, sick country. We live in equality is considered discriminatory and true discrimination is considered equality. So I just wanted to get that off the table today. Now, I want to get back to the beginning of the show. As I noted, we're going to wrap up this year with a show about the broad, overarching lies, fallacious premises that we are seeing Underpinning the lockdowns, the mask mandates, our entire philosophy behind our focus, our obsession, our specific way of treating COVID, the collateral damage, the lack of efficacy to all this, all pain and no gain. I really, it is an honor to introduce today Dr. Rosemary Fernandez Stein. Um, she is someone, by the way, you have to go to her Facebook page. I don't do Facebook much, but um, Tina, who runs our fan page, said to me, Daniel, you got to have her on the show. Her Her page is just the clearinghouse of information on the virus. Everything you're saying, Daniel, she's been saying this for months. Um, Terrific analytical mind as well as a terrific physician. She and her husband began their own pediatric medical practice, the International Family Clinic in 1999. It's in Burlington, North Carolina. If you're down there, go check it out. I wish I had um, a pediatrician like that, and we're going to discuss that a little bit later. My personal problems finding a doctor that actually understands science and medicine But Dr. Stein is a highly regarded expert in the field of childhood development, and you're going to see this is very important for our discussion for the time we live in. You could check out her book. Um, It might be a little bit too late to get it as a Christmas present, but certainly worth uh, looking at Who Needs a Village? It's a mom thing. Um, By Dr. Stein, she explains how modern parenting has created a generation of children lacking the confidence and skills to succeed in the real world. Dr. Stein, boy, that book is real, real fortuitous. I don't think you could have ever foreseen what we're dealing with today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for that kind introduction, Daniel. And um, beyond words, (laughs) I was wondering whose life you were talking about. Uh, What we just, Dave and I just started this practice 20 years ago because we realized that working for somebody else, we wouldn't be, have the freedom uh, to be able to touch other people's lives. So this, this practice is not only a business, but it's, it's more a ministry. And from our little perch, uh, as I'd like to call it, we've been able to see all sorts of things that we can observe and analyze and bring information to not only our patients, but whoever's willing to listen so that you can make good decisions uh, with the information that I present to you guys.
0: Exactly. Now, I hate having guests like you on eight months into an ordeal like this because it's just like a race against the clock. How do I get everything in possible? Let, let's try to do this methodically. Let, let's start with the here and now um, and work backwards. So you're in Central North Carolina. You have a pretty large pediatric clinic. You deal with about 5,000 patients. So you're dealing with a, a pretty large sample size of families that you're in touch with um medically in that area now we are told that this is the worst epidemic by far in the history of the country certainly the way we're acting um that particularly now with the fall late fall now into winter spread which is certainly going to be seasonal with this virus that hospitals are filling up more than ever that we're surpassing even the april degree of spread and severity what are some of the observations that you're seeing now in terms of who is getting sick from this, how sick they're getting, how you're treating it, and anything related to that? Well,
1: and I'm actually happy that we're talking this far into it because what my husband Dave and I, he's a family practice doc and I'm a pediatrician. What we actually do is is observe and digest and we look back at what we see in the clinic and and in the community uh so that we can make true uh conclusions so based on the nine months of being you know in the middle of covid i can make some pretty pretty good conclusions up until this point if i would have talked to you um you know let's say in june it would have been the information for for that point but now that we're nine months into this at the end of 2020 my it's much broader um, it, but at the same time, much more specific, and uh, and I can help your audience sort of discern better. Uh, so what we're seeing right now, when it comes to a comparison, uh, we're doctors, and so just to give you a little a little background, we've been here for 20 years, uh, 21 now, uh, but we're, we we're seasoned doctors. We graduated in a time where where medicine was based uh, on on science as a foundation. Uh, algorithms were very important. If this and this, uh, it, we use scientific method. We use, we, you know, we, we had to build a diagnosis and a treatment plan. It didn't just come from an app. Uh, So medicine today is practiced very differently. We, we give you the information as patients, but also as an audience uh, based on those older methods that are tried and true. That's, that's what the Greeks and the Romans uh, had based their, their medicine and, and mathematics, astronomy and, and, and everything else on. But anyway, so the point is, that we we build a, a a true building of facts so that you you guys can make your conclusions. What, is, what do we see right now? So uh, 25 to 30 years we've been practicing medicine. I graduated medical school in 1988. Uh, Dave graduated medical school in 1989. That's a long time looking at medicine. So have we ever seen anything like th- this? Um, no, we've never seen anything like this because we've never seen this practice or any other practice this quiet. We can't get the patients in. We have six to 10 sick calls a day. Uh, if, if it wasn't for the, the Medicaid money that is being sent to doctors to keep the practice alive, we wouldn't be able to survive I would, or I would have had to let all of my staff and all of my doctors go. So it's, and it's not, I'm still talking. I, I, yeah. (laughs) We get about two to three phone calls of parents um, overall. Okay. Remember 5,000 patients are assigned to us. We have 5,000 charts approximately in and out. You know, we, we get an influx and then we get people who leave us because they're moving or whatever. So we get 5,000 patients. That's a, that's a pretty good portion of the population. You can extrapolate that to anything. Uh, so we're, your question is, so if we have a plague, what's, what's going on? Aren't they calling? Yes, they are. They're calling when they have symptoms because we need to refer them. So the way that this works is that they call. Uh, and we decide whether those sound like COVID symptoms and they need to get tested. Now, the only reason uh, your audience is going to ask, well, how come she's not seeing them in the office? Well, this disease has been handled like nothing ever before. So if I bring them into the office and I contaminate, let's say I'm going to use that word, contaminate, the office, that means that if somebody else has those symptoms, or they they are fearful that they may have it. They need to quarantine for ten to fourteen days. I can I can simply not do that
0: to the. And, public. and by symptom, we're talking about any fever, any sniff, uh, any respiratory, any gastro, any anything.
1: Anything, because uh, COVID is the great simulator. It it can be anything and everything right now. Uh, like we used to talk about HIV, well, this is this is similar to that. It can it it, it can d- disguise itself as just about any illness. So if it be and it's our management that is really uh, affecting the lives. So if if somebody comes in contact with a patient that I thought had a cold, but he's he's COVID positive. Then everybody who was around that patient, because of CDC and and health department guidelines, needs to quarantine themselves, including myself as a doctor. I mean, talk (laughs) about really affecting people's lives. That means that whatever income they have, whatever family uh, they had to visit, going to nursing homes to visit grandma, that comes to a halt. So when I realized this, I said, I have to treat this like no disease. I've been in contact with tuberculosis, leprosy, H1N1. I had the measles. Uh, I had uh, uh, pertussis. I've never had to de- deal with an illness that is managed in such a fashion. Our our problem is not COVID per se. It's COVID management that's really
0: affecting people's lives. So when we heal- hear about a health care system strained, a lot of it is because it's the personnel, it's bec- and the logistics because of how we're regarding it, that this needs to be treated then differently than other pandemic flus were, then it's just a logistical nightmare.
1: That's right. It's a logistical nightmare. For example, when we bring a patient into the clinic uh and he's sick or he's well, it's one at a time. They get called and they they we want them to stand by themselves. Uh, at, at the check-in area, then be screened, not see any other patients because we don't want them to be con- in contact one with the other. Just think about that and the and the time that we have to spend and therefore you have to spend in your car waiting for access into the clinic just so that we keep you safe in case there's a patient that's COVID positive and we did not expect that.
0: Wow. That, 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 and that's
1: that... us. I mean, so so that's what the hospital or everywhere else.
0: Yeah. But my question is, what about other things? And obviously the symptoms clearly overlap with everything. But, you know, I mean, you get you see a lot of kids. Um, Kids typically get ear infections. They get strep throat. How do you deal with that? And why aren't you seeing that? Has that suddenly stopped?
1: (laughs) That's a great question. Um, I think they're just staying at home more because while we can manage it, they figured out uh, that we can sort of. Uh, ride through most of the stuff, which um, worries me to an extent because we've had patients that are very, very, very sick and have, have had to have uh, emergency treatment because parents are waiting too long. Wow. Uh, but uh, I think that, you know, coming into the doctor because you have a mild cold uh, has, has disappeared. I'm not saying that that's all bad.
0: Sure, sure,
1: because it has hopefully given parents a little bit more discernment and ability to to make decisions for themselves. But on the other hand, you we have a lot of parents that are, that are waiting too long. But what we mostly have is patients that just won't come in uh, because they have a checkup uh, or they have a follow up for something important because as a society, we've taken away. That structure that society needs. So most of us that are listening to this radio show, you have jobs, you have lives that are uh, more more structured. it's, it's just plain old the words. Uh, you have to get up at this time, you have schedules, you have responsibilities to, to that that need to be fulfilled. but about maybe 60 percent of our society in America today, just do not have that kind of structure in their own homes where they self-structure themselves, they self-routine. Uh, so that because of that, as we've taken these walls of structure and routines away from people, they no longer adhere to what society requests of them. They can wake up later and at 8:45 and, and get their kid on the tablet or whatever electronic device for virtual school. They don't have to go into work; they can just do the work in their PJs and because of that people are just simply not adhering to to routines and structures and responsibilities so when a patient has let's say a checkup it's about a 50-50 right now even though they have the appointment we've reminded them the appointment they confirmed the appointment that that whether they're going to come in or not are you so, seeing missed uh,
0: vaccinations
1: I, uh, yeah and their vaccines and everything. yes exactly their vaccines also so so This is not, I'm not whining. What I'm saying is that this has repercussions way beyond COVID. Uh, In five years, we'll still be reeling from this because you've taken that backbone from families that otherwise, you know, that's what they're relying on, that somebody else is holding up for them. And that's what what a society is. I'm going to be strong and therefore you're going to be a little bit stronger than you would have been. But when everything is like loose walls, then those parents that are somewhat weak because well they were raised in sort of let's let's say weak or not structured homes, well the wall that I held up for them is not going to be as firm and then we all collapse. This this is going to affect these kids and I already see it. We have probably between five and ten actual psychiatric admissions a month right now we've never had that among kids
0: i was going to ask you that because you'd be the gatekeeper for that as a pediatrician you get very involved in mental health and and you know things have really deteriorated uh mental health wise among our youth for a while but but um when we're seeing i'm seeing a lot of reports peer-reviewed reports a lot of data that is indisputable everyone agrees that this is a problem that you're seeing not just an increase in um, suicide, suicide attempts, obviously drug use, but you're seeing an explosion of suicides from a baseline of near zero of like pre-adolescent suicide or suicidal thoughts. So you're, are you seeing that on the ground?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd say probably something like a 50-fold to 100-fold. Whereas – we were we were seeing you know a few uh, suicide attempts or ideations now now we have like i said between 5 and 10 admissions for suicidal ideation that was a rare thing we, uh, just in our clinic i'm not saying it's a rare thing out there i'm just saying within our clinic we probably had two to four uh a- admissions for suicidal ideation a year uh now we're seeing 5 to 10 Uh, within our 5,000 patients a month.
0: A month. And and so just to wrap everything you're saying together, we have a virus that is incontrovertibly not a threat in a statistically meaningful way to children. Nobody can disagree with that. That's a clear fact. That was clear early on and certainly after eight, nine months of this. And yet we are sacrificing them for all of this, the physical... Care that's being missed, obviously inducing in them this fear and anxiety. And you know, one of the things I said to my wife because we've had a bad experience, and I'm glad you mentioned your age because I I I said this to my wife, like I noticed that any doctor that's under fifty, it's almost like they've gone to transgender medical school. I mean, there's not a modicum, really. So you know, we had one of these guys, probably about seventy now, just exudes he was an old italian doctor exuded common sense um old school we felt he was friendly we felt comfortable with him we could ask him questions he wasn't like guarded in what he told us It just everything was common sense. Like I would love to see what he would have to say with this. He retired a few years early, of course, like many of them did because of Obamacare. And then the only other one who was kind of like that in the practice, he announced he wasn't accepting patients. Now he retired. And we can't find a pediatrician. And my wife had a very bad experience with the one we use basically like. It's COVID, COVID, COVID. Our five-year-old always has a runny nose. He never doesn't have a runny nose. So, like, that's a problem now. And my wife, from the conversation she had with her, it was quite evident, like, she doesn't know what I know about COVID. Like, some of the premises. And I said to my wife, I was like, if you're a pediatrician and you don't understand the threat level of COVID balanced against the other threat levels to children, like... I don't understand where you went to medical school. What what's up with that?
1: And it's not med- It's it, it it's not. You can go to Harvard and think like that, um, because you're just not building that foundation of thought. You're not observing and then making real conclusions. More more doctors have to uh, do that old time sort of scientific observation and come up with conclusions. We're just not writing enough. Everything is is based on tablets and and laptops so that you don't have to make conclusions the, the the computer makes it for you. And so that has really affected uh the patient altogether in in, in within this pandemic because there aren't more doctors t- turning around and saying, "Hey guys, we've never managed anything this way." It, it any doctor who really puts their head together and 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 looks at the data how we're managing it and the outcome should be able to say we are mismanaging as a medical community. We are mismanaging this pandemic. Not to say ever, as sometimes I get I get uh, uh, told that that I'm doing. I'm not saying this pandemic doesn't doesn't exist or that this illness doesn't exist. What I am saying is that we are broadly and and hugely mismanaging it. Yes. We and, and because of that. We're creating many more problems with the management of it than the illness itself. We still have to take care of ourselves, wash our hands, uh, keep ourselves uh, – I wouldn't say social distance because part of the problem that we're having right now is is because of this social distance. Social conditioning. But, <laughs> yeah, social conditioning. Uh,
0: but, but you have to be more precise who, what, where, when. In other words, like with children, you wrote a whole book on childhood development, and what I want to get from you is like – you know, people think this stuff is pain free and like, well, what does it hurt to, you know, keep away and wear a mask? And, and I and I really want to introduce the mask to this discussion. And what I keep telling people is let's just put aside the physical questions of, you know, having kids in school for seven hours with a cloth on their nose and their mouth. And, you know, questions of spreading bacteria, questions of the microfibers getting in your lungs and all sorts of things we could talk about. But just from a psychological standpoint, what does that do to rear a kid on what you think is a new normal of looking like you're in, in, in some sort of like horror movie where everyone's <laughs> dressed in a hazmat suit? That in itself, what does it do to their development? And, and let me just introduce one more thing before I get your answer to this. Let's take it back not to my 5, 8, and 10-year-old, but I have uh, an 8-month-old baby girl, and I was thinking – Man, she would have never seen a human being normally. Now, I'm not going to say scientifically I could prove this is the case because it's just anecdotal. But she seems to have developed stranger anxiety earlier than I ever remember. It was like at six <laughs> months. And, and you know, my wife has been in the store and people have commented, you know, they try to like go up to her, the baby and whatever. Man, she's real serious. And my wife's like, no, it's the stinking mask. I mean, she can't see facial expressions isn't it true that this stuff that we're doing to kids, aside from keeping them out of school, but more the intangible of the social distancing and then the masking, what sort of damage does that do long term in ter- terms of childhood development?
1: That's, you know, those are really great questions. So, uh, first of all, uh, I come to the conclusion that um, masking is not a fe- an effective way to stop this virus because the, you, you we mask up and the the um pandemic numbers continue to increase. Yep. Uh, we become more I just more talked about LA. Like, absolutely. I mean you get how about Hawaii everybody was masked up it's an island. <laughs> how how did how did uh covid how was covid introduced in Hawaii uh and everybody was masked. I mean the the, the, the and the numbers are out there you can you can um plot Uh, masking and numbers going up and it has nothing it correlates not at all from what i've seen so first of all and we've never used let me go back to that one because i can say this but i can say say this historically we've never used masks in this way maybe in the in in the early 1900s when we we were basing our treatment on something called humors uh which was something that sort of floated through the air uh that that could make people sick Uh, But before we, uh, and that was before we discovered, you know, viruses and bacteria and growth and and propagation and incubation and all that. Uh, But uh, in modern medicine, we've never used masks in such a way. Now, if a patient is sick and it's a kid, especially, and he's coughing and he has a fever, uh, you know, he might mask for five or ten minutes and I might mask for five or ten minutes while we're in the room. So in case he sneezes. So I'm um, I'm not a recep He's not a receptacle exactly. of viruses. Shooting the, the virus or the bacteria my way. That is that has been historically the way that masks have been used yeah. to stop illnesses. Other than that, the only way that we've ever used masks is in a, a an aseptic uh, a, a, a environment like a surgery or a procedure, so that the the area uh, is sterile. We, we wash, <laughs> uh, we sterilize ourselves from top to bottom so that we're sure that we're not exuding bacteria that would harm the patient. Uh, and, and, and then we, you, know, you, you gown up and everything is sterile. Uh, and part of that is also so that when, when uh, you are operating or have a procedure on the patient so that your eyes are covered, your mouth is covered in case any of his bodily fluids should come towards you.
0: Exactly. And, and wasn't this a concern during the HIV outbreak, you know, blood spills and things? I mean, and, and what I'm exactly. saying is things that you could see, not bacteria, and, and then smaller than bacteria are viruses. I mean, <laughs> the notion that you could arrest the spread. And, and again, I don't blame people, March, April, hey, maybe we want to try it. But how well, we you could know. have 100% social conditioning that it's become like a religion, and then the very people pushing it are like, Oh my god, it's spreading. I'm like, well, okay, but you can't have it both ways. Either oh my god, it's spreading or oh my god, masks are awesome. But how do you have oh my god, it's spreading. Let's I have a great idea. Let's wear a mask. Like, wait, have you been sleeping for the last 8 months? I mean, it's it's the biggest <laughs> cultural change in the history of the country. And like, what you know, I have not seen in my place in Maryland, I have not seen a single human being in a single store since April not wearing a mask and um they're yelping about the spread. <laughs>
1: And it's still going up. And that's the way it is everywhere that you go. I mean, I traveled to Florida to visit an elderly aunt just a few weeks ago. And that's one of the states that's not locked down. And they they are not requiring masks uh, in in public places. You know what? Ninety five percent of people are still wearing masks. Yes. And they have probably lower uh, death rates. Uh, Than the rest of us who are required to mask up everywhere that we go. So the numbers are just not there. But getting to your, to your, because I want to think of that as a background. Okay, the sure. so numbers are really not there with the masking or not masking. But if you're like me, I don't want that kind of problem. I don't want, when if I go into a place, I'm not, I'm just not that rebellious. To not mask up, I don't want attention on myself. If I have to go into a store to get, you know, a loaf of bread or whatever, I'm just gonna wear my mask. I'm not, I'm not Patrick Henry. I'm more like the the George Washington type, where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just, I'm gonna do the right thing, uh, but uh, I'm not uh, the, the the person who says, okay, you can, you can kill me for my liberty. Uh, so, uh, so I'll go into a store. Um, and I can see as I go into a store. That most people are masked up, uh, but if you happen to be the person who's not wearing a mask, uh, you're, you're going to get a tap on the shoulder and you're going to be told that you need to be wearing a mask. This is just about everywhere you go, whether it's Florida, yep. whether it's North Carolina, whether it's Georgia. Uh, so uh, as a conclusion, I don't see that the masks are effective in curtailing or stopping the, the spread of this virus at all. But what does it do? So here's he's where my expertise actually does come in. So what I'm seeing is that children are not bonding. So the children uh, look fearful. You're absolutely correct in that. Uh, and the younger that they're exposed to people wearing masks all the time, the more the more Uh, fearful that they, they, they appear, but also they're not making that connection. If you see only eyes, but you don't see the lips, and the lips are the ones that smile, and the children, they smile and return. You don't just smile with your eyes, although, you know, as an adult you can, but as a kid, you don't smile with your eyes. You smile with your eyes and your mouth. It all goes into that, and for that child to make a bond with you and to relate to you as a human being, they need to see you mile. And so this is affecting the, the child's development in just that they're not making those attachments. So your 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 kids are going to have uh, the social awkwardness where they don't know what's up with that person that I don't know. So they're going to be much more, uh, the, those that make friends are just not going to be fearful at all. Fearfulness uh, and, and uh, realizing that that stranger uh, there there might be something wrong with them, uh, is a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing. But at the same time, you have to have socialization skills where, okay, that's a stranger, but he looks like he's good, and mom doesn't look uncomfortable, uh, so I should feel comfortable. Uh, that isn't occurring either. And then the children are not bonding between each other because when you go to school and you're all messed up, uh, first of all, you can't understand each other, so I can't even imagine what the what, what the speech Uh, delays are going to be uh, starting in a few years but their socialization skills are going to be completely different uh, because uh, they're not being able to relate to each other to bond with each other to understand each other like i said at the beginning the repercussions to what we're doing to children and based on non-science is going to be huge this is going to be felt be beyond decades probably at least two generations
0: Exactly. As I always say, this is incalculable. Um, we have terrible statistics on the number of drug overdoses, the number of suicides. That's like hard data. But then there's worse than that. There's the entire civilization taking an entire generation of children and qualitatively destroying their social, behavioral, cognitive development. What what that does for the next two three generations is is just i don't even want to go there but i want to move back to some of the physical aspects of this um, and what you're seeing in there. So there's a lot of confusion, even on our side, the rational side that understands that basically, look, the virus is very seasonal. It seems to be extremely mechanical, does what it does, regardless of what we do. Um, the, the non-pharmaceutical interventions are all pain and no gain. That's becoming very clear. California is learning that the hard way. We, we all get that. But let's see how. How much we can drill down to some of the specifics of how it spreads, who it's spreading to, because a lot of people are confused. On the one hand, all of us understand that it's certainly around, and that's kind of part of our point that it, it's like a massive pandemic flu that you you never sit and bean count all the cases. It's everywhere. It's all 50 states. It's gonna do it until it, you know, until we reach that herd immunity threshold, whatever it is. But then on the same, you know, plane we're seeing with the C the CT cycles of the PCR tests that a lot of them are bogus or nebulous cases or trace cases. Um, so how much of this spread is real? How much of it is fake? What's with the hospital numbers that you're seeing? You know, they're going to, you know, they would have you believe this is the worst run on hospitals we've had in our history by far. What are you seeing again, in terms of the spread, the severity, who gets it? What are you, what are you seeing?
1: I guess the, and those are all – my mind is reeling, thinking of – There's okay, a lot how, going on there, yeah. You, yeah, how do I give you all of this information? And I want to make sure that I touch back on – let's compare this to H1N1 2008-2009, because that's really important for your audience to get the, the background on what is a true – pandemic, the, the, the classic, I, I don't want to say it's true, what does a classic pandemic look like, what's its management, and how does it go through, and, and, and what are the consequences, uh, and what do you see in herd immunity and, and, and just overall um, immunizations and all that? Okay, but to answer, answer your question, so uh, spread, it's a very unusual spread. Uh, I'm not seeing the classic type of spread from the flu. I'm seeing exactly, you sent me some data about the home. I, I think that, that the, the spread is the highest in homes. I think that that, that uh, study is right on point. It's mostly in the home uh, or in the workplace. If, if, let's say, it's a factory or, or a food plant or something like that, I'm seeing a lot of spread uh, within within uh, th- those uh, mediums, let's say, uh, because because and I can say that because of, of the population of patients that I see, most of the the spread that I have had in the in the clinic um, uh, with the patients has been within the home. Uh, it's it somebody brings it in sometimes from work or that they hung out with somebody for a, a let let's say hours on end. They come back into their home and maybe two uh, to three. and it's it's arbitrary. It's like uh, the the kid might have been uh, even sleeping in the same bed with mom, uh, and uh, yeah. the, the kid doesn't get it. <laughs> and the, the mom did get it. and then the uncle who who really doesn't associate with them uh, gets it. it. This is so arbitrary that yeah. I have not seen this kind of propagation yes. of illness ever before. But I do see that you just have much higher risk within the home uh, than anywhere else. Number two place would be sort of your your workplace, uh, so that uh, if you work in a place like a factory or a place where you're in close quarters, you have an increase in the possibility uh, of transmission of of the virus. Uh, But I do also want to touch on uh, we're really fearful about something that I see that most Uh, adults uh, 60 uh, even 70 and below uh, get sick and they recuperate fully up until this point i can't tell you what you're gonna do in 20 years if you're gonna grow what what are you seeing
0: them getting like flu-like symptoms i mean it seems to kind of change in terms of what it does
1: it does it does and it was much scarier i don't know if we're seeing a mutation, a different strain. My conclusion would be uh, that it's probably a different strain. We're just not getting enough information to understand the genetics uh, of COVID right now. Uh, And when I say that, I mean the the actual biological uh, uh, makeup of the virus. Uh, But It does seem like this is a different strain than what we saw back in March, April, and May. Uh, We're not seeing the shortness of breath. We're not seeing uh, the respiratory compromise that we saw. So right now what we're seeing uh, is fever, malaise, which just means that you just feel sick, uh, just tired, fatigued. uh, You don't want to do anything and a terrible headache. Uh, the the we call this pathic mnemonic. Pathic mnemonic means you don't see this in anything else. <laughs> uh, and so what is pathic mnemonic uh, within COVID would be the lack of being able to smell and to taste. Uh, uh, except for several tumors, there's nothing that does that. And what it, it yeah. is actually being affected with that pathic mnemonic uh, symptom of anosmia and not being able to taste is that one of your cranial nerves is being affected. Uh, and it's being sort of dinged by the virus. That's the only so conclusion. So it's the I virus
0: doing it, not your body's response to it?
1: it. It can be a combination of both. See, I don't have enough studies to be able to look at uh, to to um, arm myself with information. So it might be your own. It might be that it's being it's inflamed, or is it that the virus is is, uh, uh, is specifically attacking uh, that cranial nerve? I don't know. But we, you know, like never before, we don't, we just, as a medical community, we don't have that kind of information. But that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the fatigue, the overbearing headache. They tell, some of the the people tell me that it's one of the worst headaches and nothing stops it. From start to finish, you have this headache that you feel this huge pressure. And from the beginning to the end, you feel the headache. Maybe at the the fourth or fifth day, the headache eases up and that's how you know you're starting to get better. Uh, They're really tired afterwards, maybe for three or four days. But the people who have had it, they all tell me, but I recuperated within a week. I was better. I I was pretty close to back to normal at this point. Some of them do have to go to the hospital, but it's not like what we were seeing. So back that's in what
0: 30- I wanted to know, go to the hospital. And th- this is really what I was wondering, and I have no way of knowing this. I hear different things from ER doctors that w- we talked about earlier on about the self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, you treat it like the Black Plague. So it's going to kind of be that way logistically if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, you tell everyone basically the impression we gave everyone was that this is a rare and deadly virus that that's how we're treating it like oh my god there's Mm -hmm. there's covid i found it like and really it's you know some estimates have it at 100 million people 30 percent of the country got it in some in some form um and and it's broadly not a problem for almost everyone and but 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 nonetheless that's that's how they're treating it so you could imagine you know let's say you're one of those people that gets it and this is the thing that destroyed the world, and you got it, you tested positive, and you're not asymptomatic, you're not even very mildly, like, let's say you get very evident flu-like or other symptoms, but again, not that you really are having, um, you know, um, ARVs and ha- having trouble breathing, that's really like, that's a very emergent situation. Do we have a dynamic where a lot of people are, what we would typically, or before this, classify in another context as subclinical, That doesn't really need hospitalization, but nonetheless, they're going and because we have all these treatments we try on the hospital, they have extra reimbursement, you know, we're kind of decided as a nation to treat this in the hospital. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, to me, if you look at the 2018 flu season if you're an otherwise healthy person, you go to the hospital. There's no culture that's pushing you to go there because no one even outside of medical settings talked about the 2018 flu season in January 2018. So you know you're feeling really bad. You're going to the hospital. Do you have people maybe a level under that that are going anyway?
1: They are getting tested more, but I don't see people showing up to the hospital because and and getting admitted or uh, staying in the hospital for a significant, you know, in the ER for a significant amount of hours. You're tested, you're positive, okay, get out of here. Or you're tested and you're negative, but you have those kinds of symptoms. Maybe you have it, stay away from everybody. It, it's um, it's treatment like I've never seen before. It's not an effective treatment. And once you have it, I mean, the, here's, here's another thing that will probably be uh, controversial to the audience, but if you know that you have it, And we know that there are treatments that have worked significantly to decrease the transmission, but help you to feel better. That's what we do with the Tamiflu. It doesn't make the illness go away. But if you have Tamiflu, if you have the flu and you're given Tamiflu, it decreases your transmission rate and it decreases the time that you feel sick. There are certain medications that we know for a fact, just medically, that do that to this, um, to, to covid yet we're not using those resources. Okay, again, fire
0: away. This is this is what a lot of people are going to want to hear. This is what's very important. What I and I just want to preface your remarks here before we close it up about the effective treatment options is this. A lot of people accuse people like me of saying, well, you know, you don't care about COVID. Like you like you don't think there's a problem at all and you know, like they're the big COVID hawks. And ironically I say You guys are the ones who refuse to focus on the one thing that scientifically we know we can do. You're focusing on the voodoo, sun dance, rain dance, hold the cloth up, block block the transmission of a respiratory virus, which has never been proven to work. And, And after eight, nine months of this clearly doesn't work. And you're basically telling people, shut up, mask up, don't get it. Otherwise you die. When really it's the opposite, <laughs> you're all going to have to assume you're going to get it. We're all going to get it in some form. It's largely not going to be a problem. But may but but what God has given to us, not the ability to stop it, but the ability, like always, to treat it to some to degree, more effective with some people. And I I get I have members of my family that got it one recently, and like he was coming to me because he knew, knows I'm involved with a lot of people researching things, even though I'm not a doctor, like, he didn't know about aspirin, I know he had terrible vitamin D deficiency, like everyone living in New York, and like, after nine months of this garbage, they've told us everything, except for what actually we need to know to guard ourselves, so what is that information?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, you're so right, it's like they, the, you get all the scare, but not any of the plan, and, and, and that only works uh, to put everybody in a panic. Uh, so uh, you, can, you, you can read as well as I did because I just simply did not have enough patients. Two things. First, I didn't have enough patients to, to, to have to treat with hydroxychloroquine because they weren't sick enough for me to even consider to have to treat them. So that, that because of that, I didn't have to get to the point. So everything that I know about hydroxychloroquine uh, is, is through reading, research, the same stuff that you can look at. Uh, so hydroxychloroquine uh, appears to be somewhat effective, especially in in those first couple of days, in the first 48 hours. I would say that it almost works, even though Tamiflu is an antiviral and hydroxy, uh, hydroxychloroquine is not, uh, but it works uh, as almost a prophylactic and early. Uh, illness um, uh, decreaser. Uh, it it seems to decrease the transmission of the virus to an extent, but it also decreases the the amount of days that you're having active symptoms. If you do that together, for some reason, and I can't figure that one out because we just don't have the data to figure out why does it work like that. Uh, but if you if you do the hydroxychloroquine at the same time that you're doing Zithromax, uh, it seems to uh, uh, work synergistically. That What that word means is that it works together to be more effective than each one by itself. Mm. So if you do the hydroxychloroquine together with a regimen of, of uh, Zithromax, it works even more effectively. If to that you add the vitamin D, vitamin C, and maybe even an element of zinc, you will feel better even shorter. You're talking about two to three, maybe four days max, and you recuperate faster. And here's one really interesting piece of information. Uh, All around the world, they're also using a medication that has never been used for this before. Who the heck decided that they were going to use an antiparasitic? It's called ivermectin. Uh, It's Sclice. So we can't find Sclice anymore to treat lice, head lice with. And I was like, why can't we find it? Why can't we find it? Mm. One of my friends from the Dominican Republic, that's that's where my parents are from, said, oh, because we're all using it in the Dominican Republic. They took the Sclice and they put it into pills. 99.6% effective that if you have been in contact with some someone, uh, or you're starting to have symptoms, it will decrease your transmission a- and the, the, those number Ivermectin. of days that you're really sick. And so they use it at a really high dose. If you're sick and you're admitted, they re- use it in a re- really high dose. I think it's for five or seven days. You can look at the data yourself. Uh, but doctors over there are using it as a prophylaxis. They're even using it every two weeks or so. They take three pills. I think it is uh, within three days. Of the Uh don't quote me on the the milligrams that they take, uh, but is it, their doctors have have hardly gotten uh, COVID because they're on this regimen where they take the iver- ivermectin or this this glyce together with zithromax. I don't know if they're using the hydroxychloroquine together with that and a regimen of vitamin C and vitamin D. But okay, so so I, I'm, I'm, I might be saying things that are like, oh wow, that's crazy. But the thing is this. Why are there regimens out there that appear to be effective, but we're completely controlling them and saying that that we shouldn't say this information out in the public? if you even have a little bit of data, we use things uh, that are not uh, necessarily completely run by the fDA all the time as doctors, and then we say, okay that's off label, but we know it's working yes uh, and and especially for a disease like this, this, is, this was thought to be life and death. And to an extent, it's at least uh, morbidity and being really sick and not. So, if you think that something has been known to work, at least for a portion of the population, and, and we have the method to be able to give it to the population, but we're saying no. I mean, that's that's sort of like a a, a gross. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. That's almost and not, not quite to genocide, uh, but it, it, it becomes yep. kind of close to that because you know that that might help. But we, we are stopping the population from being able to have access and actually saying, no, those are bad for you. Well, I, I don't understand why, why as a medical community, we're all uh, all submitting ourselves to this.
0: It's wear a mask and it's just mentally ill because everyone is and they're getting it anyway. And this this is the this is the crying shame of it all. Like at least if you're going to be a covid hawk and there's nothing else in the world but covid, we're going to destroy every other medical care, mental health care, the economy, society, education, you name it. COVID, 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 at least be obsessive about proactively treating it. And this is the big testimony that went viral on Ron Johnson's committee, Senate Homeland Security Committee. I for, I'm i forgetting the name of the doctor. He um, talked about ivermectin and, you know, the fact that it's not being pushed. But are there barriers? So could a doctor like yourself prescribe it?
1: We I can't find it anymore. I cannot find – I cannot prescribe hydroxychloroquine without going through 10 different barriers. So that stopped me from being able to prescribe it anyway, even if I had had the patient that was sick enough uh, at a pediatric age to give it to him. Uh, I, I can't find it. I can't prescribe it because the, the uh, our, my medical board won't let me. My, I can't find it at the pharmacies, uh, but the splice is the same thing. I can't treat lice with splice anymore because it's been dedicated to something else. It, I, I guess all of, uh, our, our uh, you know, production of squice has gone overseas where it's being used on a daily basis. Now, to, 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 to um, give you the, the, the information from what I'm seeing from from the ground, from tropical countries, so instead of putting so much money into uh, giving a, pay, a check to each, each and every family overseas, what they're doing is you have a box. And that box is your your uh, treatment plan for COVID. So in it comes slice, uh I'm not sure if hydroxychloroquine, uh, Zithromax, vitamin D, uh, and it gives you a a regimen of how you take these medications. So uh, the family has a box of this. That's wow. where they put their inform their, their their funds into this, and the family gets that, and then. If you use it already and you, or, or you, maybe you misuse it or you give it away, you can request another box. And so that's where their funds how can it be that these these what we would call uh backwards third world countries, countries yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're we're the ones <laughs> who are country. backwards.
0: It's it's unbelievable how and, and you know why they're not doing this, because there's one word. That's empowerment. Rather than control and tyranny and fear and panic and sowing resentment between fellow men, you have something that look, it's not hundred percent for all people, and I think we all agree that those with that are very old with the comorbidities i mean the ones that are within a few months of dying or maybe this you know retroactively was their time to die those are mainly the people that die but i think we all agree that there is a tranche under that of people that wind up landing in the hospital they have a rough go at it they wind up surviving if they're not one of those people but you know it's a rough go at it and if we've Spent trillions of dollars as a nation to deal with it and obsess with it and research it. We should have the information to give to people, maybe not a hundred percent panacea for every last person. But if we see things like ivermectin and then hydroxychloroquine, and even just the preemptively taking zinc and vitamin C and vitamin D, which a lot of people still are unaware of or maybe they're aware of it but the government hasn't pushed it as much as they've pushed masks so the message hasn't <laughs> permeated and like because i've seen this from relatives it's like i know plenty of people have had a rough go at it um and again and never scared of dying from it but you know it was it was a rough flu um unlike most people i know that most people really don't get much of anything but some people do get that it's pretty random they get it pretty bad and it's like they're caught holding the bag. The doctors don't really tell them anything. And they're wondering, okay, do what's the trigger? Do I go to the hospital at this point? They have, you know, That's I had right. one relative who had um, basically like muscle pain and lingering fever for, for several weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know too many like that. And, you know, it's not like he had trouble breathing, but it was it was pretty miserable. And the fever didn't go away. He has a history of just fever with everything. Fever with colds, fever, fever. Never. He always has fever. Um, and it's like, I feel like someone like that, had he taken this stuff, some of it preemptively, some of it early on, where would he be now?
1: Exactly. I mean, because it, it, like with the flu, prophylaxis means a lot. The patient will actually come to us if they've been exposed to the flu. And it's not controversial to treat the other patient with a prophylactic dose instead of a regular dose so that he doesn't get it why you know and we know that that overseas they're doing that with the ivermectin i don't understand why we're not we're not suggesting as a medical community that we might want to do this for for this horrible virus
0: why i I know why um,
1: well i I, I mean
0: yeah yeah, i mean it it doesn't fit the agenda
1: I, i don't know i don't understand how you would sacrifice millions of lives i did want to make sure that i talk Two things. If we have a, a moment, sure, to sure, and then we'll finish. close up. Yep. Yeah, and then we'll close up. Okay. Transmission, uh, transmission among kids. This is important for parents uh, who hopefully are listening to me or grandparents who can take this information back to the children because I haven't touched on this specifically. I sort of alluded to it, but I haven't said it. Transmission among kids, virtually zero. There is some. It's the exception and not the rule. Yes. I like to say that in medicine a lot because it, it, it boils it down real easy. So for COVID, uh, it, transmission among kids and even from a kid to an adult is virtually zero. If a kid gets it for some reason, and I would love to see why that is, the virus does not replicate and it does not transmit. I just guess they they don't build up the viral load enough so that it's it's very mild for the most part. And, remember, again, this is the rule and not the exception. So for most kids, 99.9% of the kids that I've seen, uh, it's it's very mild, but it does not transmit. So you get it and bring it home and it dies with the child is the way I like to put it. Amazing to me. Well, that makes it so that the, the, the most prudent thing to do for the next semester for school is but prudently and uh, hygienically open schools up. kids need that that uh, social uh, and academic uh, exposure that they're not getting right now. Okay, so that's really, really important. Now the other thing is I promised that i would I would compare what we see now to h1, N1 and even the flu season for two thousand and twenty early 2020. 2019, sorry, and early 2020. Absolutely cannot compare what we see now to that. Those were true classic epidemics. H1N1, uh, we, we see about 60 patients a day in the winter in our clinic. We were seeing upwards of 100 every day. Within one hour of opening our phones, it was sort of like uh I don't know, some, some famous person's concert tickets. We got 100 phone calls. Every spot was taken until 5 p.m. right in that first hour. There was such a fear, and parents wanted to get their kids in there. They wanted the kids to be treated, Tamiflu, blah, blah, blah. That was 2008, 2009. Uh, some of it went into 2020. It was absolutely awful. For families and kids, for schools, you had to shut down schools because you didn't have schools, the ki- kids sitting in, in, in the classrooms. Uh, so you can't compare what we're seeing at, uh, from then, even 2019, early 2020 with the flu to what we're seeing right now. As I'm talking to you, the phone has rang uh, at my clinic, 5,000 patients, maybe five times. I'm looking at the phones uh, for, for my other lines. Five times who knows what they're calling for? so we've
0: destroyed the lives of children for something that is demonstrably less of a disruption in their life than a natural disruption, not not the man made one exactly. than the flu than the seasonal flu and and could, could you just briefly describe the 2018 flu season, what that looked like?
1: yeah, so 2018 was very similar to 2019, about thirty percent of our patients. I count, we we count them up, we see what they get, they they get the the shot, uh, and which type of of, of flu strain did they get. Uh, About, I would say, 25 to 30% of all of our patients came in at some point in that flu season with the flu. Uh, 50 50, um, maybe a little bit higher, probably 75% were not vaccinated. Uh, of the patients that had the flu, uh, about three to five days, uh, they weren't able to go to school uh, for about five days. Uh, families, they they would get it uh, you know in groups of of families. Uh, it would spread very quickly through through uh, the the uh, schools. Um, and we were seeing probably about eighty patients. So we go to uh, in a normal flu season, we'll go to see eighty patients uh, per day. Uh, about seventy five percent of those are sick patients, uh, and we usually have enough spots, but we sometimes run out of spots for sick patients.
0: And, and that's and that's a typical flu, like you said, it rampages through the schools. We never did what we're doing; it's much more disruptive every year. And ironically, see this year, like especially from a child perspective, it's better than ever because you benefit from the flu being blocked out for whatever reason. So you only have COVID, not the flu, but COVID is much less of a problem for them than the flu. So if anything, in terms of schooling, this should be a better year. In, in the closing minute here, I'm not. I'm just uh, throwing it out to you. Do you have any thoughts on why we're not seeing the flu show up?
1: I think it's being diagnosed. We're, we're not testing for many people. Not We're testing for the flu, uh, but many places are not testing for the flu. Uh, it might be that because they're not, Uh, exposed to each other. We're not seeing enough flu. But mark my words, when we see flu, because these kids have not been immunologically exposed to one another, Mm. it's going to be terrible.
0: I'm really worried about that. The bubble boy phenomenon.
1: Yes, exactly. So we're not exposing our children to one another or any illness, uh, except this whole uh, COVID, you know, um, uh, social distancing. And so we it's like no other illness uh, yes. exists. And because of that, when our kids are exposed, we're going to be hit really hard because that's how nature works i needed an md to say say that trick
0: nature i needed an md to say that because to me it was obvious we could debate the exact mechanics of why covid doesn't seem to be a problem for them but it is it likely whether it's cross immunity from coronavirus colds or something else but it likely has something to do with the broad principle that they have a built-up immune system of their typical lives that starts with the baby putting everything in the mouth. And from there on this immunological ecosystem that we've disrupted, that, we've disrupted. We, that we're going to go and now create a self-fulfilling prophecy of screwing up that ecosystem and creating the very problem we're saying we're, we're shielding them from, which they don't need to be shielded from. I, I could not have thought of anything more counterintuitive.
1: Absolutely. We're at, at some point, you know, once again, I don't want this to happen, but mark my words, because that's how, science, that's how science works. Nature, you cannot control nature. We're trying with this virus to control nature, and it cannot be controlled. We are not God. We can't control nature.
0: You're not God. But you can nature only treat. Is going,
1: is going to get us back with this one because we have mismanaged uh, our environment, and they, these, these kids are, are weakened immunologically, they're weakened. So when they do have the normal childhood illnesses that they have they, they have to be in contact with, they have no immune system because you can't turn on and off an immune system like, wow. oh, we're just going to send them to school.
0: That, that is a really, really important point. We're going to have to leave it there. We're definitely going to have you back in the new year dr rosemary fernander stein folks if you're in the burlington area check out the international family clinic check out her facebook page terrific stuff thanks for giving us the full hour we are way out of time folks <laughs> until next week i will be there hopefully one or two days it's gonna be very irregular we will keep you updated keep fighting god bless you all and have a great weekend